Hey, my friends. You know, I often get to share stories. It's really my privilege to share stories of amazing, heroic people. But you know, I think that this story that you're about to hear is probably going to be one of the most moving stories you've ever heard. And it's a real privilege for me because it deals with friends that I've known for many, many years friends that have inspired me in so many different ways. And when you hear this story, I want you to share it with all the people you know, because it's going to be a story of amazing hope. Yes, amazing hardship too, but incredible, incredible faith. Hey friends, this July, we at LifeSite are celebrating 25 years of service to life, faith, family, and freedom with a gala in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. So especially for those of you who couldn't join us in the United States, LifeSite is gathering our whole team and a few very special guests in the pro-life and pro-family movement for a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity at our newly announced 25th anniversary Canadian gala. LifeSite's star video reporter Jim Hale will be there with an onstage special with the 16-year-old Canadian pro-family hero, Josh Alexander. Experience LifeSite's Faith and Reason show live with Father James Altman and Liz Yore. And you'll be able to interact with our reporters from all over the world, including U.S. Bureau Chief Doug Mainwaring, Canadian reporter Anthony Murdoch, and Rome correspondent Michael Haynes. You'll also hear keynotes from LifeSite co-founder Steve Jelsevac and myself. So RSVP for the 25th anniversary Canadian Gala now. And don't miss the opportunity to get a live, in-person, studio experience of LifeSite's top news show that broadcasts every Friday at 8 p.m., Faith and Reason. Seating is very limited, so RSVP and get your tickets today for LifeSite's 25th anniversary Canadian Gala in the beautiful Hilton Toronto Markham Hotel this July 18th. To buy tickets for the 25th Anniversary Canadian Gala, visit gala25can.lifesitenews.com. I look forward to seeing you there. God bless you. David McDonald and Kristen McDonald, welcome, welcome to the program. Thank you. Let's begin, as we always do, with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So, David... Um, I actually want to start with your story because we go back so many years. If you wouldn't mind telling us your story from the beginning, because that started us in a friendship from the very first time I heard about you. I loved what you, who you were and how you came to the faith and how strong you were in it as a guy who was alone in terms of relationship, but living all for the Lord. But get us there first. Well, sure. Um, so I grew up in a family that, uh, you know, science was our God. And uh, my parents uh, 
uh, it wasn't a very peaceful home. My parents would sometimes play frisbee with plates and, you know, that kind of thing. And, and um, it was also, uh, you know, we heard a lot of religious words in our family, uh, but they weren't used in the right context, if you know <laughs> what I mean. Um, so, uh, you know, my, my father was um, radical atheist. He really was against anything that, you know, he thought it was very anti-scientific. Um, so uh, that was kind of the context of growing up. I was, grew up in a rough neighborhood. There were car bombings and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, and I had a tremendous desire to get attention. And the first way I got attention was learning how to get beat up. And so uh, I got beat up in school a lot as I was growing up. And, uh, and there'd be big circles of people around me. Wow, they must like me. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, you know, it was very traumatic too at the same time. You know, there's, it's funny to look back on, but it's very tragic also. Um, but I found a much better way to get attention was I had a talent in music, and so I picked up the guitar at eight years old, and I excelled very quickly on it. And in my teenage years, I went out and started playing on the streets for, for money, you know, with my guitar case open on Spark Street Mall in Ottawa, and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, and then uh, I got picked up uh, and got a record deal at 18 years old, and I got a bit of airplay. And uh, then I went down to Club Med Bahamas. Uh, I was sent down there uh, after playing in Montreal for a bunch of concerts in Montreal. I got picked up by an agent and sent down to Club Med, and I played there for six months. And then I got picked up by uh, CBS Records and a couple of other uh, people were down there, and they, they liked what I was doing, and they said, why don't you come to New York? And so I went to New York City. Um, and I auditioned for a Broadway show. Well, first I did uh, produce some rap music in Harlem, which was an interesting journey. I could, you know, they called me the Mighty Whitey. Uh, and, uh, you know, so I did, the, I did the string arrangements and, the, and you know, that kind of thing. And uh, got, a, got a show on NBC TV uh, where we did a preppy rap. So I was producing rap records and we went to preppy rap for a white kind of rap. And, and that did pretty well on uh, CBS Records. And then... Uh, then I got cast in a Broadway show, and everybody said, you're an actor. I said, oh, yeah, sure, I'm an actor now. <laughs> so, so, I, uh, so, I, um, so I was in a show, I played Mick Jagger in a show called Rock and Roll, the first 5,000 years, and then I went on to the show Cats, the U.S. National Tour of Cats. I did uh, a show called American Passion with uh, Robert Downey Jr., and, uh, you know, so that kind of generation of actors, and, um, and uh, things were really going well for me. I thought, you know, Man, I've arrived, right? And um, but I soon realized that there's a lot of ways you can get shipwrecked in life. And uh, you know, I didn't know the Lord at all back then. Um, and uh, I was very, very promiscuous. Uh, and uh, I was involved in three abortions. And so um, uh, I basically sacrificed my children on the altar of my ambition. So I, uh, I, you know. And the interesting thing is, is the, the universe and Jesus and God, the rules that, that govern this world we live in, we're all subject to whether we believe them or not. And that was something I didn't realize. So the laws against, you know, the, the, the moral, uh, you know, uh, case against abortion that God makes um, is still subject to those who are involved in abortion, whether or not they believe it or not. And that's what happened to me. So my life started to collapse. I started getting into addiction. I started using more and more cocaine, uh, alcoholism, uh, bulimia. I was vomiting up to six times a day. Um, and 
So I got really sick. I was doing a show on Broadway called Baby, which was very ironic because it was about three couples who were having children. I was just involved in the abortion. Mm. And, uh, and I think the dichotomy of, of me playing somebody who was expecting a baby, you know, on Broadway and, and just having gone through abortion was, you know, the, the, uh, the cognitive dissonance that I would get was just, you know, incredible. Um, so addiction started coming down. I, I lost that show. Uh, I, I injured my voice on the U.S. national tour of Cats um, in Philadelphia, and uh, and that was the end of my career. I, I blew my voice out uh, as a result of you know bad living and getting sick and pushing too hard and and uh, and living chasing after the North American dream of you know mm. let me get famous and you know then I'm going to work out all my other problems, my emotional problems. Um, so came back to Ottawa with my tail between my legs, I went on a, uh, a search, a journey. And I ended up in that search um, uh, looking at the new age because people in Hollywood and in New York are very attracted to the new age. And there's a really good reason for that because the new age doesn't make any moral demands on us. Hmm. So, oh wow, I can, I can get spiritual and I don't have to do anything. Well, you know, what's not to like about that, right? And so, so that's kind of how I uh, did it. Now, the reason I sound like this is because of the injury on my voice. Um, and so uh, I went from there uh, to this, this search, and I was just about to give my life over to a guru named Swami Satchinananda. And I was really serious because I wanted to search. I was seeking for truth, you know. And I got lost in Montreal uh, when I was going up to meet this, this guru. And uh, I got off the, the bus, and I saw this big, huge church. I didn't know the name of it at that time, but it was St. Joseph's Oratory. And I went in and I walked around what I now understand to be the tomb of Brother Andre. And I had an experience there which was very profound. And I went up to the third floor and there was nobody in the church at all. And I just lay in front of the cross the way I did prostrate in front of the guru, you know, when I was doing the, the, the following yoga. And I just lay in front and I heard myself say this little prayer. And I didn't know Christians. I didn't know anything about Christianity. But I just said... You know, Jesus, I don't know you. And I don't know your people. I don't even know if I like your people. But, um, but I believe you know me. And then I just put my head down on the ground and, and face forward. And I, uh, and I gave my life to Jesus at that moment. Hmm. And I felt this incredible power come over to me at that point where I just felt like... I was rejuvenated, and so, uh, so that took me on a brand new journey, and I lost all interest in the new age and everything else. I got out of all of the bad uh, living that I'd done, involved in many different uh, journeys, even in the LGBT community for a period of time. Um, you know, I just felt the Lord calling me away from all of that, and it's just like, no, I'm calling you away to a new destiny. And so uh, I went from there to... Um, to uh, you know, finding out where I would belong, and and I had an experience with Our Lady that brought me to the Catholic Church because I went to the other churches, which I I thought were really great and had a lot of life, but I there was something about this mother, you know, and and I just so it drew me into the church, and I began my journey in the Catholic Church, and uh, and I went back to university and I got a degree and I went I did music a little bit on the side. Uh, 
And then on a Christio, my voice came back for 10 years, and so I did 10 years of Christian music. And that's when you met me, John Henry Weston. And, and so I was touring around, and I think we met in India. Uh, we were uh, playing at the Divine Retreat Center, and there's about 3,000 kids there. And, uh, and I was doing a show, and you were doing talks. And, uh, and so I, I toured around as a Christian musician, got some airplay, and I was going to live a celibate life. Uh, living the teachings of the church, and I really think it's important for everybody to understand, teachings of the church is no sex with self, you know? Like, it's so, so important for single people to maintain that purity with self because, because masturbation just dulls and clouds the, uh, you know, clouds your spirituality, clouds our relationship with, with Jesus. Father Bob Bedard, who was a great priest, uh, used to say, you know, it just clouds our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so... You know, I was living a pure life for a number of years, uh, living the teachings of the church and staying away from porn and staying away from all these different things. And, uh, and then I injured my voice, and I, at, right around that time, I'd met Kirsten. Yeah, let me, you know, what, what I found fascinating was I remember meeting you, and I remember you having stories about being able to witness. One of the most fascinating things was you were able to witness in... LGBT communities or regular communities that you've been celibate for so long and that would make people's jaw drop. If you can tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> well, I would just assume you're lying. Like if you say, I don't masturbate, they're like, you're lying. There's no way. Everybody masturbates, right? And it, it's, like, it's like, no, you've met somebody who doesn't masturbate and you don't die from sex. It's not like air. It's not like, it's not like air. It's not like food. You're not going to die if you don't get sex, you know? And so I think in our, in our over-sexualized society, we have to understand that, you know? And so we can live the purity of the church uh, and still have a full uh, life. And, and it's true. Many, many times people were just jaw-dropping. You, you, you mean you don't use porn? It's like, no. You know. But I had to do a lot of you know, accountability and working with other people and getting in groups of people and uh, you know, working together with others to avoid porn and all that kind of stuff. It's not, just, it's not like you just you know, wake up one morning and go, oh, I'm, you know, this is great, I'm, I can be free of this. No, it's, it's, a, it's an effort to live the teachings of the church and to relate to other people who are trying to live the teachings of the church and hold each other accountable. So, so, that, was, uh, so that was the journey there. And, and when you stop doing all that stuff, it's amazing the miracles that happen in your life. Because I remember you were then, at this point, you were also singing for the March for Life very often. Yeah. Um, ten years in a row. Yeah. Ten years in a row, I always wrote the theme song for the March for Life. And so we, did, we started out with 700 people the first year, and it went up and up and up and up and up. By 2010, we were up to about 20,000. And, uh, and then we did the March for Marriage, which had 25,000, and I wrote a theme song for that called One Man, One Woman. And, uh, and so... Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a great experience. And to see the witness of the Canadian people really on fire for the truth was a great thing to see. And it was amazing because at that point, I thought, what an amazing fellow. He's given his life to Christ. He had this past that, yep, I came from a similar kind of a past. But, and I was at this point married with lots of little children. And I thought, wow. Look at David, he's living the life, the same life, giving over to Christ everything, but he's sort of alone at home. Yeah. And I remember you saying about how you're totally celibate, which is great, but you've also 
got no one in a way. And I'm like, wow, is that ever tough? But I remember you, you were steadfast, like any priest would say, yep, I'm just given to a life of celibacy. And you thought, at least when I was talking to you, you thought that was going to be your life. Yep, I thought I, thought I was going to be, you know, playing music and uh, doing my testimony, you know, until I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. You know, and uh, I had no plans of getting married because I'd had a word from Our Lady early on, uh, you know, uh, that was, well, you don't want that, you want me. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that that was, I was called to a life of celibacy. Now, the interesting thing is Our Lady would have to do something bigger than that in order to get my attention, and she did. What happened? I, this is so wonderful. I remember meeting you, Kristen, and in all honesty, I thought, wow, that's like such a beautiful lady. And I was so happy for you. I said to our Lord, I was like, thank you. Because if anybody deserved a good, holy, and beautiful woman like that, it's David. I was so, so happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> I was too. <laughs> so tell us what happened. So, so I was, um, I was just uh, coming back from a concert. I think it was in India. And I was stopping. I stopped in, in the Holy Land. And I did a tour of the Holy Land, and I went to the Church of the Annunciation. So this is where tradition, the Catholic tradition, says that Mary said yes to the Archangel Gabriel uh, to give birth to Jesus. And so I was there, and it, miraculously, it was, it was empty, except there was a choir rehearsing on the second floor. And so there's this beautiful music in the background as it was sitting in this place where the Archangel Gabriel, where tradition says the Archangel Gabriel came to Our Lady and she said yes to the birth, you know, to give the conception, the Immaculate Conception of Jesus, right? And so, so there I was and I was sitting cross-legged on the floor and just praying and then all of a sudden I heard, and I'd known about Kirsten and I was trying to avoid her because I was really attracted to her. And I was trying to, you know, I'm like, I'm celibate. I'm, this is not my path. I have to just, you know, not pay attention to her. And, you know, but I wanted to pay attention to her. It was one of those things, you know. And then I heard this voice in my head. It was Our Lady. And it was the same voice as I heard 25 years early as you don't want that, you want me. And I heard, David, I want you to marry Kirsten. And then I heard it again. I heard, I want you to marry Kirsten. And then I heard it the third time. I want you to marry Kirsten. And then at that last time on Kirsten, the choir started, stopped, and the bell started ringing. <laughs> I'm like, what is going on here? Right? And I was looking around like, you know. Uh, and, and all of a sudden, the love I had for Kirsten just burst into my, you know, from my stomach right up into my whole being. And I just felt, wow, I have permission to go forward with, with Kirsten here. And so that was, you know, Our Lady, uh, you know, giving, giving us the, the go-ahead, you know. This, this was of me. And, uh, and so uh, all this time, Kirsten was on an interesting journey because she was a, uh, a missionary, an evangelical missionary, who... Uh, had a dream about the Eucharist, hmm. and uh, and she'd been taking communion each day using a, like a, a a cracker because she believed John six, you know. But and and in her evangelical church, they were talking about that, and then she had this dream where the, her version of communion was held up against the Eucharist, and she was looking at the two of them, and it, she heard there's depths and treasures 
in this thing called the Eucharist that you're not getting in what you're doing now. Hmm. And she woke up, she's like, I think that's Catholic. <laughs> oh, God, defend me from deception, right? <laughs> right? And uh, anyway, it began a, a long journey for her, uh, a difficult journey because she didn't know a lot about the Catholic Church. And she, so she, her road, as I was moving towards marriage, uh, she was coming into the Catholic Church. And, uh, and I was put in contact with her because I have a, a Catholic website called Catholic Bridge that, um, you know, helps people understand the Catholic faith and things like that. And, and so she was sent to me by somebody who said, well, she has a lot of questions. David might be able to answer those questions, <laughs> right? And so that's how the whole thing, how we got to know each other. And, uh, and so we started that journey. And Kirsten at the time, of course, she was running about 5K and she was, you know, super athletic and, and all of that. Um, and so we went on this journey and I was 48 and she was 43. So for you guys who are not married, there is hope, okay? <laughs> there is hope. Don't give up. <laughs> um, you know, so I was 48 years old and, um, and, and Kirsten was 43 and we'd gone through a number of, we got married and it was a beautiful marriage and, uh, and uh, we could feel the anointing on it and both of us just really sensed we were going in the right direction. And, um, and then, uh, you know, we, we weren't thinking that we were going to be able to have children because Kirsten was older and we had a couple of miscarriages, three miscarriages. And, you know, that's very traumatic. So you got married when she was 43. Yeah. And then you had a miscarriage, three miscarriages. Three, three, mis three miscarriages in, those, in about two years. Okay. And, you know, very difficult. But I have to tell you, a miscarriage is way different feeling than an abortion. Mm -hmm. There is, like, people who make that comparison between miscarriage and abortion, there is just absolutely zero comparison. Like, like there's a sense of sadness but a sense of gratitude when, you, when you're involved, when you have a, a miscarriage. But with an abortion, there's regret, deep, deep regret. And of course, the spiraling until we accept responsibility for it, uh, addiction. You know, I think the incredible proliferation of pornography among men these days is hugely dependent on the proliferation of abortion that men are involved with. Hmm. And, and when men start owning up and taking responsibility for the deaths of their own children, we're going to see healing from pornography. And um, anyway, so it's a very different feeling. The feeling of, of, the, of the, um, the miscarriages and the feeling of abortion. Hmm. Um, so we did have the sadness around miscarriage. And then we had two years of absolutely nothing. And we thought, well, I guess that's it. And then we were on a... Uh, on a trip to Poland, I was speaking for work. I was doing uh, work for people with disabilities uh, and, uh, and working in technology for people with disabilities. And I uh, went to Sweden to speak, and I stopped. We stopped in uh, Poland, and we went to Our Lady of Czestochowa. Now, Kirsten went in there, and we went to a mass there, and Kirsten had an experience with Our Lady, and Kirsten had a lot of baggage around Mary, mm -hmm. you know, and she would be glad to tell you this, I'm sure. Um, so she had a tremendous amount of baggage around Mary, and she was nervous about Mary. But after this Mass, she felt this incredible experience of her like grabbing Mary by the shoulders and kind of shaking Mary and saying, Help me! Help me! And she didn't know what she was saying help me for. Hmm. 
And then she started bawling her eyes out, and she felt this kind of warmth come over her, I believe, and this kind of sense of, of, of Mary's presence. And then she came to me, and she says, I've just, something's happened with me, and I don't know what. We got back from, uh, from uh, Poland. We found out we were pregnant. <laughs> and, you know, we were always very shy about... How, how old is Kirsten at this time? She was 48 years old. So mm -hmm. the, the, uh, the doctor, the OBG, said, um, well, <laughs> congratulations, you just won the lottery. Because if you line up, if you line up a thousand women, uh, and, you, you know, you might get one who's going to have their first baby at 48. Wow. You know, so it was a, for me, it was a bona fide miracle of Our Lady intervening in Kirsten's life. <laughs> and so it was, it was a bona fide miracle. And, um, and, uh, but two days after that, we got a biopsy back and she had breast cancer. So, so she's 48 years old. You've just been told you won the lottery by the doctor. Yeah. And two days two after Two days that, after we get a biopsy back that she has breast cancer. Why was there a biopsy in the first place? Because she'd had a she'd had a, a lump underneath her underneath her armpit about a year earlier. We went to the doctor and said, Don't worry about it, it's nothing. Don't come back, you know, unless it grows. And it wasn't growing. So it was just kind of there. But just before we left for uh, for Poland, I said, I think you should go and get that biopsy. So we did. And that's the biopsy was just before we went to Poland. And so we got this thing mm. back as we returned. So we're faced suddenly with this dilemma. And I can tell you, having witnessed this up close, that I am married to a saint. That um, she... Uh, she basically said to the doctors, I don't want any chemotherapy. The chemotherapy is going to wreck the baby. And they did have types of chemotherapy where they said, well, there's less inter in intervention, it's a lower dose and different things like that. But all of the studies that we saw were very short-term and they were very mixed results. And so we were not, uh, you know, I was like, Kirsten, this is going to be your your call because there's nothing immoral about taking medical treatment, you know, when you have cancer. She said, absolutely not. She said, no, I'm not going to do that. So what they did was they took the, the cancer out underneath her, her arm. It was in the breast, right in this part of her breast. And they took it out in this uh, first trimester in the doctor's office because they couldn't get an operating room quick enough. Hmm. And she did it under local anesthesia, not general anesthesia. Oh. And they'd never done that before. Uh, so it was a first for the doctor, for the surgeon, and they were really, they, the surgeon, I have to say, they really played well with us, uh, and they, they were really helpful. And, uh, and so uh, they took it out successfully, but they wanted her to take chemo afterwards because they said the treatment wasn't complete. And, but she didn't want to do any of the drugs or any of the chemo or any of the radiation afterwards because she felt it was going to interfere with the health of the baby. And so, um, so Odessa was born nine months later. And it was a successful, uh, you know, Dessa was perfectly healthy, you know, and it was funny at the time when we were pregnant with her, the doctors were like, well, you know, you are kind of old and you do have cancer. You might want to do a test to see if there's Down syndrome, you know. And I say, well, what would you want to do if there was Down syndrome? What would you be recommending to me to do, you know, <laughs> knowing full well what they were thinking of, right? And, uh, 
I said, that's okay. I work with people with disabilities. If I have a disabled baby, it's perfectly fine. It will be fine. Thank you very much. Mm. Um, so we didn't do that. But our baby was uh, perfectly healthy. Adessa is, you know, bright. And, uh, you know, at five years old, she was reading all the Chronicles of Narnia and, uh, you know, reading at a grade four level and, and uh, doing great. And, uh, and so uh, she turned out fantastic. And uh, Christian has been a, uh, a saint. And we had six years of complete freedom from from the cancer. And uh, did you want to say something, Kristen? Yeah, okay, so we're going to pause to Kristen say something. Hello, friends. To celebrate the momentous overturning of Roe v. Wade, we at LifeSite have minted just under 10,000 of these brand new limited edition pro-life silver rounds. Now, each round is stamped with the image of the Supreme Court of the United States featuring the date that the High Court delivered this historic victory. And on the front of our pure silver rounds, LifeSite's logo surrounded by a brilliant sunburst and draped with olive branches. They, of course, commemorate our 25-year anniversary of LifeSite News. We began in 1997 in September, so September of 2022 was 25 years. These one-ounce silver rounds are available from our partners at stjosephspartners.com where you can fulfill all of your silver and gold needs in this perilous time. May God bless you. Two, two, sorry, second. Trimester, oh yeah, okay, sure, yeah, there's a, we had a real miracle in that second trimester, sure. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I can mention that. So in the second trimester, we had another kind of a miracle. Um, so uh, we, had, uh, we had to take out three lymph nodes. When I say we, I mean Kirsten had to have three lymph nodes taken out uh, right underneath her armpit, right at the edge of her breast, because they wanted to see if the cancer was spreading. And so they called them sentinel lymph nodes. It's a new kind of technique where they just take a couple of them rather than you know, a whole clump of them to look for. So that was a good thing, it wasn't as invasive. But we did the surgery locally again, not under general anesthesia because she was pregnant in the second trimester with the baby. And it was a critical time with all the features of the baby, you know, growing. And, and, uh, and every day I would, um, I would pray for Kirsten. I'd put my hand, one hand on her breast and one hand on her, on her womb where the baby was. And I would say, Lord Jesus, I just ask that you would let Haman die on his own gallows, like the story of, of Esther, and let Mordecai be exalted, you know? Mm-hmm. And I would think of the baby as Mordecai and, and the cancer as Haman, you know, going after the innocent life, you know? And every day I would do this, and I was reading the Bible 360 at that time, you know? And it's an interesting thing to come back to after saying that. So we had, in the second trimester, we... Uh, she went in, she had the surgery. They said it's going to be very, very painful. Um, you're going to uh, experience, you know, lack of movement. And here's a bunch of Tylenol 3s. Here's a bunch, you know, if you need morphine, we can get that and all that kind of stuff. And she got home from the surgery of getting these lymph nodes out. And she just saw the picture of Our Lady of Chestahova, which was where she had the miracle with Edessa, you know, the conception of Edessa. And she said, um, Mother Mary... If it's okay with you, I'd really like to be free of pain here. You know, I don't really want to have a lot of pain. And it was just a simple prayer like that. And, uh, and uh, she had no pain after four hours, after the first set of, uh, the, you know, the, the local anesthesia wore off, and then the epidural wore off after about uh, 15 hours, nothing, no pain, full movement. And it was just like, that is a miracle. Like, I witnessed a miracle. I said, if there's anything, if I've ever seen a miracle, that's... That's a miracle. 
And um, I said, I don't think the cancer is going to come back. Hmm. I don't think we're going to hear anything more from Mr. Cancer, you know. And uh, and so as we came up to the the uh, the birth of the baby, I was reading the Bible and I was getting into the book of Esther. And I'm like, what a Kirsten. I think I'm actually going to be reading this story of, of, of Haney and Mordecai, you know, around the time. But I think we were about a week early. And I still just did my 50. I do one, I do, you know, one chapter a day, you know. And, and I was just going through. And then she had the baby a week early. And then on the day that, that, that our baby Odessa was born, uh, uh, Haman hung in his own gallows. <laughs> and... You know, you can't make this stuff up. It was just, you know, it was a miracle. To me, it was just an assurance, you know, uh, of, of his grace and his love for us. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, we just thought, okay, so Haman's hung in his own gallows and, and, and we're done with Haman, you know. So we had six years free of cancer. And, uh, and then we moved out to the Muskokas uh, from Ottawa. And... Uh, and Chris was running 5K in the back, and she started to trip. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I think maybe there's something going on with the cancer. And after a difficulty with the medical system, trying to get a doctor, we couldn't get doctors anywhere, even with these kinds of symptoms and a previous history of cancer. I went to a private clinic with, uh, for an MRI, and they said there's no, uh, there's no uh, lump, so that's really great. And there's no masses. But there's a shadow that we don't understand too much these days because it's early days, but sometimes it indicates the ALS. Hmm. And so they recommended us over to a neurologist. And finally, when we got into the system, we were good uh, in terms of getting the care we needed. Uh, and, uh, and Kirsten went to uh, the, uh, the clinic and found, you know, they diagnosed her with ALS. And so for, for those who don't know, what, what then is ALS? So ALS is under, otherwise known as Lou Gehrig's disease. Mm-hmm. So the most famous person with Lou Gehrig's disease or ALS, of course, was Stephen Hawking, who was the astrophysicist, who was you know, radically anti-Christian. And I think about Kirsten as the antithesis of, of, of Stephen Hawking. You know? she, she you know, she's not a big on all the science stuff, but she, in the spirit boy, she is a, she's as masterful in the, in, the role of, in the world of the spirit as Stephen Hawking's is in the role of astrophysics. You know, she just is a mystic. And, uh, you know, she would pray three to six hours a day, many days. Uh, and she still, now she prays six to eight hours a day. Um, and so, uh, you know, Kirsten uh, uh, quickly moved. The ALS was very fast moving. And so in these last two years, she's gone to the point where she can't move her feet or her legs, her hands. She can't move her hands. Um, and uh, she was able to talk for a while. Um, but now she uses communication device. So she looks at the keys and the keys will type ahead. will guess what she's trying to say. And then she can choose what the choices are. So it's, you know, I have a background in assistive yeah, technology is, for people with disabilities. Yeah. It's like, it's like uh, God was like preparing me for this moment. You know, Jesus was like saying, okay, you know, you're going to need to put you, everything you've learned, you know. And so, um, so she communicates that way with us now. Um, she can, she's 100% present. She says the greatest thing about ALS is she can pray all day now and nobody bugs her. <laughs> so, uh, so she still is very, very active praying. She prays for our world. She prays for different things. And she feels also that the Holy Spirit guides her in prayer. And she has a very particular spirituality 
which I feel it's a real privilege to witness because I've, you know, I've traveled a lot in evangelical circles and in the Catholic circles. Um, when I was doing music, I was many, didn't, a lot of, I was hanging out with a lot of evangelical and evangelical world, and I've never met somebody with a particular spirituality like Kirsten. A lot of times she'll go into prayer and she doesn't know what she's praying for, but she feels like the Holy Spirit is using her to do stuff. But she doesn't know what it is. It's like it's being, she's being prevented from seeing it, but she knows when she's finished. So, and she feels extremely anxious if she doesn't finish. It's this very particular spirituality, and I feel very blessed, you know, to, to witness it. I'm trying to say it the best I can, uh, but it's something like that. Uh, and she, uh, you know, and she's uh, been very, very uh, strong in bringing up her daughter, so, uh, you know, we, she gets communion almost every day, uh, and, uh, you know, I bring it to her, and... Uh, and uh, she uh, and our daughter now is, uh, you know, very active in the church. And uh, and uh, you can ask her anything about the Bible. And she, you know, she knows all the stories and everything. It's great. And this is all a result of Kirsten's uh, mama bear. You know, she's like, my daughter is not going to be part of this culture. You know, she's going to be part of your culture, Jesus. You know, Jesus culture, the real Jesus culture, right? And, uh, and so she is really... Uh, like a mama bear around that. So we homeschool her, and uh, and she's doing great. She's you know reading level a level you know level of French. Uh, she reads like an adult in French, and she speaks French fluently. I started her in French video early, and uh, and so she's doing great. Uh, you know in all in all ways, our daughter, and uh, and so this is where we're facing right now. And Kirsten is you know it's a very fast moving uh, ALS and. Uh, we're, you know, of course, praying for a miracle. You know, we know the Lord is capable of her. We don't know whether the Lord wants her there with him or whether he wants her here with us, but, but we know he has good plans. He has good plans for her. And uh, we're just, you know, praying that the Lord's will be done. But of course we're praying for her to be healed, you know. Of course mm -hmm. we want that. And we've seen miracles in our life before. We just don't know what, the, what kind of miracle the Lord's going to work this time. Mm-hmm. You guys send out a, a newsletter to, to friends, to family. Um, and uh, on the latest newsletter, uh, Odessa sings a song with you. I heard you brushed off your, your uh, guitar and, and uh, started that up again. Tell us about that. Yeah, so, you know, when I got married, I, uh, and after I lost my voice, I really didn't see a lot of purpose in me continuing the music that much. And I, you know, was very active writing pro-life songs. And if anybody wants any of our music, it's prolifemusic.com. You know, you can just go to prolifemusic.com and you'll see our stuff. Um, but I uh, did that for many years, right up until about 2008. And then uh, after that, I didn't do hardly any recording at all. I only wrote one song for Father Bob Bedard in 2012. And then I didn't do anything uh, for the last number, you know, 10 years. And so, uh, and I hadn't recorded for 15 years, but I just figured, I'm going to try this. So I updated my my computer stuff, I had all the old software, I dusted it all off, it was a big pain to get it all up and running again. So I have a little recording studio, I'll show it to you a little later, uh, in my room, and I, you know, these two screens, and and um, I laid all the tracks down, and uh, then uh, Kristen said, I think Odessa should sing this, my daughter, and me being like a perfectionist, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to, you know, <laughs> you know and I said, yeah, let's do it. And so, uh, so, 
uh, Odessa sang it, and I think she did a fantastic job. And uh, and so uh, we've recorded the song. I really like the way it sounds, and mm-hmm. you know, if your readers want to give it a listen, we'd love for you to listen to oh, it. Oh, let's let's do that now because I think that this is so touching. Uh, in fact, when I heard it, I was like, oh my gosh. Um, I knew I had to come out here uh, because you need to listen to this. I climb up on a wheelchair, kiss your cheek and brush your hair. Mommy, it's even hard for you to breathe this air. I read your stories of the saints of Adessa, that was really beautiful singing. Adessa, how old are you? Seven. Seven years old. Wow. What's your birthday? Uh, February 23rd. Oh, excellent. So you didn't turn seven that long ago. Okay. Um, 
what is for you uh, the favorite thing about your mom? Well, that she's almost a saint, really. She is a saint. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> and um, you've got a very happy family, do you? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And what's your biggest wish? That she'll be healed again. Mm-hmm. That she could run around. Yeah. And... Um, Tell me, do you love Jesus? Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, your daddy said that you know lots about the faith. Would you mind if I ask you some questions? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, if I were to ask you some of the books of the Bible, like who are the four gospel writers? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Ooh. Was that too actually, easy? She can actually give you all the books of the Bible if you No. Go ahead, Darren. Okay, sure just give me the, the first five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. <laughs> wow. Okay. So what's the... Oh, here's a really super hard one. Are you ready? This might be super hard for you. What are the last two books of the Bible? Um, mm, that gets rude. John and Revelation is definitely the last one. Um, Revelation and oh, I forget the other one. I forget. She had to go through her whole song. Yeah, third John. I think it's Third John. Third John. Yes. Third John and Revelation. Very good. That was a super stumper on purpose. Wow. Okay. Um, hmm. How do I get you now? All right. I'm going to think of a really, really hard one. Hmm. <laughs> Here's one for all of the um, all of the modern scripture scholars. Who wrote the book of Hebrews? The Hebrews. <laughs> that's, that's very good. That's probably what they'd say. <laughs> all right. Who wrote all the letters? Who wrote all the letters? The people who wrote the, who are named after them. Yes. Who wrote so. Romans? Do you know who wrote Romans? The Romans? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> First letter, uh-huh. like Paul right. to the Romans, Paul is what to I the meant. Romans. Right. And that's Hebrews too, or at least so says tradition, but not the scholars. But anyway, that's great. Awesome. Now, you you read the Bible yourself? Yes. Really? Don't you think that's super hard? It's a super thick book. Yes, it is a super thick book, and it's, um, we have, like, this, um, kid's Bible that, um, we actually have a few, and, like, um, when we finish one, we just go to another one, and then we keep doing that over and over. My dad said it took three years to read the whole one, like, the whole huge one. (laughs) Yeah, beautiful. And, um, if you had a, something to say to kids whose mom or whose dad are sick or maybe passed away already, what would you say to encourage them? I would say that just pray about it. It could really happen. Mm -hmm. And what keeps you a happy child? Well, just knowing that she'll be healed again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, 
What do you make of heaven? What is heaven for you? Well, it's where God lives, and it's where all the people who love God are when they die. Mm-hmm. And what would you say of your mom and dad? Do they love God? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You are a beautiful child, and a child who's very, very blessed. And the greatest blessing you can have as a child is holy parents, because they give you a holy faith, and they've mm-hmm. obviously done that. Thank you so much, Odessa, for speaking with us and for singing for us. You're welcome. So, Kirsten, one of the things that is, uh, I mean, someone in your situation, first of all, I'm so amazed at your faith, Mm -hmm. your smile that Mm -hmm. you still have now. Um, You're such a blessing. Mm. And uh, I wanted to ask you a kind of a hard question because this is probably the the poster situation. You, they call you the poster child for, you know, um, euthanasia, assisted suicide, dying with dignity, or whatever they call it, because you've, you know, you had an incredible life. And it, as David was saying, you're very active, ran 5K a day every day. And you've successively lost control over your ability to move at all and then to speak and now it's affecting your lungs and things like this and that's that's what they'd say oh you want to be able to end that suffering before it ends itself no no no, you want to take control what would you say to people like that and have you ever had that encountered that already in uh, your situation that you're in Hmm. One of our PSWs recently told me that her end of life views have definitely changed since working with our family. Unfortunately, I wasn't near my computer to ask for clarification, and she hasn't been here recently to ask more. Hmm. Amazing. So you think that perhaps she has moved in her, in the in the direction of life? Most. Definitely. Definitely. Beautiful. Most definitely. What is for you, um, what motivates you today? Because, you know, these are, it's a difficult situation Mm -hmm. and no one says that it's not. Mm -hmm. What motivates you from day to day? It comes from knowing the Lord and that I can completely trust him. Beautiful. Beautiful. It may be difficult for people to understand, but I feel joy most days. It comes from knowing the Lord and that I can completely trust. It may be difficult for people to understand, but I feel joy most days. It comes from knowing the Lord and that I can completely trust him. Amen. Amen. Is there, is there anything else that you'd most like to say that I could ask? Extra. However, of course, I have difficult days, mostly from the emotional pain of being unable to connect with my family in a real way. That's the real suffering. 
communicate. I'm very thankful for living in an age with technology and being able to communicate. And that, my friend, is the story of the McDonald family. I had a last question for you, David, before yeah. we sign off. Sure. A lot of people, given your whole trajectory, which is just, it's an unbelievable story, but a lot of people would be like, you've suffered like Job mm. in many ways, yeah. because I know you suffer sort of through your wife, because of your wife, with your wife. Yeah. And yet, you're not rebelling against God. No. You don't, um, like, blame him or... what? Just tell us in your own words, what, uh, what is your reaction? Because you've yeah. gone through... This is a life of suffering in many ways. In many, many ways, a life of real joy. But the suffering is evident as well. Yeah. Um, I've always found that whenever I try to avoid suffering, it usually gets worse. Um, so facing it head on um, and just surrendering it to the Lord, just saying, Jesus, like, I can't do this. You have to do it. And it's true. There's many days where it's very, very, very difficult and, and it's a suffering. But I'm not mad at him at all because I just know that he has such a great plan for all of us. And he's and I look back on my life and I see all the miracles that I just know he has a good plan for us. I don't know how that's going to work and I don't know what his, 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 you know, his ways are not my ways. Right. So, so I just really trust him. Um, you know, I have to dig deeper and I have to say that, you know, when, um, when I, I, when I got in the career of, of, uh, disability and working in that, I, I became quite successful at it. And, you know, I started to enjoy being the guy in the room who people wanted their, his opinion, you know, and, and I could get a certain amount of pride from it. And this situation, having had to stop work and to take care of my wife and to like really break down and to, to really start to look at what's really important, even in our walk with Jesus, you know, the material world is a very dangerous world. It's like, it's like Frodo carrying the ring to have any affluence or any success at all in this world. And so... The Lord is in this situation really reminding me that, no, I have to be dependent on him. And the people who I respect the most, I have a whole wall of saints over there. They were all really poor and they were all, they all really suffered a lot. And so, so if I can just follow them and, and rather than rebelling against God and being angry at God, saying, God, I love you so much. Teach me the lesson you want me to learn in this suffering. I want to learn what you want me to learn then I do way, way better than if I start getting resentful and all that stuff. And uh, so I'm very, very grateful to the Lord. And we, we, we thank him, you know, we praise him in this storm. You know, um, being here with the McDonald's, it's, um, it's quite something. Kirsten, for all of you not hearing much of her, speaks very loudly. Um, I can hear her very loudly because she speaks love and it's a uh, love first for Christ and then for her family. And I'm just so privileged to bring you this story. People I'm so proud to call my friends and uh, I want to ask you to, we've, we've put up a life funder for them. Um, if you feel called to support this family, they'd be grateful. 
and uh, I'd be very, very grateful. This has been just an awesome time. Edess, you want to say goodbye to everybody? Bye. <laughs> Kirsten, can you say goodbye? <laughs> From the home of the McDonald family, which have been so generous in sharing with us their life, their inspiring, love-filled life. This is John Henry Weston for LifeSite Jews. May God bless you, and we'll see you next time. Hi, everyone. This is John Henry Weston. We hope you enjoyed this program. To see more like it, be sure to hit the subscribe button below to get all the latest content from LifeSite News. Check the links in the description to read more and connect with us on social media so that you can stay up to date with all the latest life, family, faith, and freedom news. Thanks for watching, and may God bless you.